This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Second Fenway Rundown of the week from Fort Myers, Florida. I'm Chris Cotillo, along with the co-host of this show, Sean McAdam, sitting in our wonderful Airbnb in Fort Myers, Florida. You heard Kenley Jansen yesterday. Later in the week, you will hear another player, unless he cancels on us, Lucas Giolito, who we've set up an interview with. But today, just Sean and myself recapping what has been, bizarrely, a very busy and very newsy two days with the Red Sox. Ownership day yesterday. Rafael Devers takes down ownership day today. Liam Hendricks is a member of the Red Sox. Actually, and I, I don't say this many times in the show in recent weeks, a lot to get to here. So we'll do that now. First things first, Rafael Devers today speaking on the bench at Fenway South. We had it all covered on our Insider Text program. Sean, tell the fine people how they can subscribe to that. It could not be more simple, Chris. All you have to do is text the word join to 617-751-6257. A chance to get all the Red Sox news first, to communicate and ask questions of us, provide questions on mailbag episodes of this very podcast. And then all you have to do is click the word subscribe, where you get a 14-day free trial period and then a $4.99 charge Per month thereafter. Rafael Devers, the big story today, and an uncharacteristic showing. He really did, you know, call out the Red Sox, call out their ownership, call out the front office for not doing more. The quote that stuck out to me on a question that I asked was, everybody knows what we need, you know what we need, I know what we need, all that stuff. They need to make an adjustment and they need to add to this team. He was mad last year at the trade deadline, they didn't do it under new leadership now with Craig Breslow angry again that they didn't do it you know you wrote the column and calling out the Red Sox Rafael Devers begins to warm to the role of team leader you know he's been in the league for seven years now has the big extension which goes into play now did this surprise you as much as it did me today yeah I, I have to say so and it wasn't just the message Chris it was who was delivering it because we know that Devers is hardly the outspoken type he is not the kind to rattle anyone's cage He has a kind of happy-go-lucky personality. There is the language barrier still somewhat in effect. He understands most of what we ask him, but he's still not comfortable answering in English, so he uses a translator. And I think maybe that reduces his the impact of his personality a little bit. But we know that he's not a guy that likes to shake things up. And I think he did it somewhat reluctantly today, But I also think he did it recognizing that this is a new time for him and a new team. All the big veterans who he came up with are gone. David Ortiz is gone. Uh, Chris Sale is gone. All the big personalities who had sort of that gravitas and the ability to speak for others, it's now Rafael Devers' team. He is the only player left over from 2018, the last championship team. He is the highest paid player on the team, and he is the highest profile player on the team. And for him to step forward, and I think he had to know he was going to get asked this kind of question, 
And he really didn't hesitate. He said, they need to help us. They need to help us get better. We all want to win here. They want to win. The players want to win. But they have to provide us with more. And without mentioning pitching uh, specifically, as you said, in a more kind of generic statement, everyone knows what we need. Presumably that was starting pitching. And he knew that he was there to deliver a message in his standing as a leader on this team and the longest tenured player on the team. And I think, you know, it was a message from the clubhouse delivered by Rafael Devers. You know, it's obviously his thoughts, what he thinks, what he feels, but more generally a message from the clubhouse about, hey, we need help. We need more help. There's no reason for you to cut the budget. And we heard, and we'll get into this, but the set parameters that Craig Breslow was given, you know, we need pitching. Obviously, I think when he talked about not saying certain things out loud, you know, Rafael Devers was talking about, I'm not going to, you know, say we need starting pitching specifically because that insults in an indirect manner. Tanner Houck, Garrett Wetlock, some of the guys that do have in that rotation. But he said it at the deadline that they needed pitching. He said it basically in not so many words today. And I think that this just continues, Sean, a long, you know, recent pattern of important people with the Red Sox basically asking them, what the hell are you doing? What the hell is going on here? We heard Devers do it today. You heard in an, another fashion in the last episode of this podcast, Kenley Jansen talking about his frustration, kind of implying that well, this is not what he signed up for two years ago. He thought he was going to be on a contending team for the next couple of years. That's not going to be the case in anybody's estimation now. And I thought very tellingly in a weird bit of telling on themselves, Sam Kennedy saying Dustin Pedroia FaceTimed the group the other night and said, hey, there's the free agents out there. You should go get them. I don't know why Sam Kennedy told us about that, considering we both, you know, I think as everybody does, consider it unlikely they'll make a bigger splash. But, you know, it's the uh, the current players, it's the legends of the franchise, kind of wondering where and why the Red Sox lost their way. We'll get into all of that. But, you know, it's not just the fans saying, hey, spend, we want you to spend, we want to be good. It's not just our media types complaining about, the lack of direction of the franchise or at least being confused about it or saying that the fans deserve more, you know, the fire's in the house now. And I think that's very telling. Yeah. As you said, Chris, uh, Devers was speaking his own mind, but I think also doing it, knowing that he is the voice that others don't have, you know, Trevor's story is a major league veteran in good standing. He's been an all-star player, but he doesn't have the cachet with this franchise that someone like Devers has, someone that they committed more than $300 million to, the guy that they chose to keep among three homegrown stars, the first two of which, Mookie Betts and then Xander Bogarts, both left. Devers was the guy they gave the commitment to, and he's here. And, you know, they made that commitment to him, but he also made a commitment to them. And along the same lines of... Kenley Jansen expecting that he was going to be on a more competitive team on a two-year deal. Certainly, Raphael Devers did not sign a 10-year extension expecting that the first few were going to be part of an also-ran roster, and the frustration is evident there. But he was also, you know, representing others on the team who perhaps don't feel like they're in a place to voice some of the things that he did today. That is the Tuesday story of the day. We'll get to Liam Hendricks, who also spoke today for the first time since signing. We'll get to that toward the end of this pod. But the story Monday was the annual ownership 
showing up. You know, I don't know how much you want to get into Alex Cora's message to the team, which I think we're both extremely confused by, so maybe not even worth bringing up. But ownership was in town. John Henry, for all the hiding he does, was out and about on the backfields of Fenway South. Sean, you had a conversation with him off the record, of course. He was in a jovial mood, did not want to talk about the team as usual. Sam Kennedy was the one who did that. Tom Warner was also there, spent less time with us than either John or Sam did. Um, you know, John Henry was not accessible in the traditional sense. That has now been the case for four calendar years, as we have covered in this pod almost ad nauseum and obviously in my intro and how I say, um, it's contrary to popular belief, we don't record that every time. That's pre-recorded. A couple people have asked me about that, which is unbelievable. Um, but John Henry did make his presence felt on the backfields yesterday. I know you talked to him uh, a little bit about Neil Young and some other things, but just your takeaway from the John part of the show before we get to the Sam part of the show. Yeah, well, it really is no different than in past years, Chris, where uh, John Henry shows up. I don't know if he said much, if anything, to the team uh, when they assemble and Alex Cora does most of the talking. My guess is he didn't say anything at all. Uh, there may have been a quick message from Sam Kennedy, the team president, may have even been something from Craig Breslow, the new chief baseball officer. It was mostly Alex Cora speaking to the players. Uh, and it's kind of beyond me uh, as to why John Henry decides he's going to show up at these things every year. He doesn't address the team. He doesn't want to speak on the record to the media. And it's just kind of a photo op for him to walk around, shake a few hands, take a few selfies, and sign a few autographs with, with fans who have shown up at Fenway South. But there is really no message. Uh, as you noted, he has not been in a press conference setting in almost exactly four years, going back to the day after the Mookie Betts trade to the Los Angeles Dodgers. That was the last time that Henry sat in that sort of conventional setting and answered questions. Uh, he's around occasionally, but he doesn't want to talk on the record to anybody feels he's been burned, feels he's been misrepresented, continues to say, whenever I say something, it comes out wrong and I get myself in trouble. So he keeps to himself and then wonders why people feel he's too detached. And, you know, I think yesterday, and when he does come around, I think, you know, I am a little bit struck by how he seems to, you know, notice things or seems to pay attention. He's made comments to some of us in the past in an uh, informal setting, like, hey, how come there aren't more media members covering this team? Or, you know, kind of, there seems to be a, a dawn on him moment about how bad things are sometimes. I'm not sure if he had that yesterday. Um, again, I didn't speak to him much, but him, his wife, Linda, Sam Kennedy, Tom Warner, all out there. Um, Sam, you know, jovial and talkative as always, and then addressed us on the record. But yes, I think... You know, the John Henry showing, it's all for show, um, but not much of substance there. Tough to really get inside his mind right now, and uh, we'd love to because ultimately he's the one who sets the budget, and we're, we'll get to that in a second. But he is where the buck stops, and that is, as I've said for months, the story of this Red Sox winter. Yeah, and maybe John Henry can ask himself this question as I think about it. For the owner who delivered the first championship to this franchise in 86 years, and then incredibly added three more in the span of about 14 seasons. 
it might be worth him thinking, why am I not treated as a conquering hero every time I show up at Fenway or Fenway South? Why is there so much animosity toward me? And I think the answer is pretty obvious. I'm not sure he sees it, but he should, or someone close to him should, is because he is more and more detached from the team. And whether he intends to send that message or whether it's an accurate message, it suggests that this is a guy who is above it all, who does not care all that much about how the team performs and feels he doesn't have to answer to a increasingly frustrated fan base. I make this comparison all the time between Robert Kraft and John Henry. Both of them have overseen remarkably successful organizations. The Patriots have won six Super Bowls. The Red Sox have won four World Series in this century alone. But the reason why Kraft has a largely positive image with the Patriots is that people see him at the stadium at games. They see him walking around in training camp. They see him talking to players. They see him showing up at local events. They see that he is invested, not just literally and financially, but emotionally. Meanwhile, John keeps his distance. He grants no interviews. He does not subject himself to any questions. He doesn't mingle with the fans other than for a few minutes every year down here as he moves along the rope line and signs a few baseballs. And then he wonders why people are angry with the direction of his franchise and angry more personally with him. You have to go some to squander the goodwill of a franchise that has won four titles after going 86 years without him. And yet that's where he finds himself. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? Yesterday uh, did little to, I think, uh, improve that. You know, one of the moments of the day that I found funny, John Henry and Bobby Dahlbeck sharing a nice conversation and a side hug. Two guys that probably wanted to be anywhere but Fenway South on Monday afternoon. Sam Kennedy did go on the record, as we said, as we've written about, and as we've wait for it, talked about on the Fenway Rundown Insider Text Program. We're not going to read the number this time, we promise. Um, but Sam, I think two big takeaways, we wrote about them. Uh, number one, extensions for young stars, making that a priority. Sam Kennedy, uh, really pretty clear that they want to do that. I think there's a long list of stars uh, or potential stars past Tristan Casas, who's the obvious one, that qualify there you know around the diamond you look at Von Grissom even as a guy Sedan Rafaela Will you Abreu I'd even throw Jaron Duran into that boat there's the prospects that haven't debuted yet that they might want to do we've seen you know the Brewers the Tigers some other teams do those types of deals for guys that haven't even debuted yet uh, so maybe Anthony Teal and Meyer down the road are candidates for extensions on the pitching side Bayo, the obvious one. We argued about this last night while you were writing the story. I think Cutter Crawford is a guy you might want to look to extend. You don't believe that, um, but you're wrong, so that's okay. Um, you know, there are some of these guys on the roster. I think the big takeaway there, they want to aggressively try to do it. That's all well and good. That's great. It's a good focus to have, and it's a really, really good mission. And they should be. The Braves do it. A lot of teams do it. An effective way to build your team for the future, add certainty, get the fans excited. It's a great business strategy. 
Though it does take two to tango, we've talked about on this pod before, Tristan Casas is not a guy who uh, is ever going to take a low ball offer. I think he's a guy who's willing to bet on himself, super confident, all that type of stuff. You kind of have to find the right scenario. You know, Garrett Whitlock, who had an excellent rookie year, took a below-market deal that the Red Sox offered him because he was a year coming off Tommy John surgery. In the course of 18 months, Whitlock went from a rehabbing double-A guy to a guy getting offered $20 million in guaranteed money. It was the perfect time and a shrewd move by Bloom that no matter what Whitlock does in the years to come, literally cannot look bad because it's pennies for this franchise, though with the way the payroll operates, it might be more like half dollars now that that's the way that they're spending. But... I think that that's kind of the perfect example. Um, so everybody in that boat, you know, Casas, Grissom that we mentioned, Rafaela, Willier, Abreu, Bayo, Crawford, it's going to take two to tango. You know, and the Red Sox are at this point going to try with those guys. Until something happens, it's all talk. No team's ever going to say, oh, we don't really want to extend. But there was some interesting stuff there, Sean, yesterday from Sam Kennedy about we want to learn from our mistakes of the past and we want to make this personal. Um, and talking about how as you made the joke off air yesterday, Craig Breslow, who pitched for like 18 major league teams, is the perfect guy to talk about the influence or the importance of being on a team for your whole career, which may be a bit of a stretch, but you know, he's trying to say a former player, I guess, can really speak to that. Right. And, uh, you know, you reference the uh, mistakes they've made in the past. You don't have to go too far back to find the Red Sox mishandling and waiting too long to try to get a deal done with some homegrown players. They didn't approach Mookie Betts until two years were left in his control. And by the time he had rejected some proposals, they felt they had to move him to be able to get something rather than lose him to free agency. They were not able to extend Xander Bogarts. So credit to them for at least looking in the mirror and realizing that they had not done this the right way in the past and that they need to try to start locking these guys down early in their career. Good for them. But as you say, ultimately, the proof's in the pudding. Are they going to reach an agreement with any of these guys? Are they going to be successful? Or are they going to lowball them and try to win the negotiations? Because that's not what this should be about. It should be about creating an environment where players who come up through the system are rewarded and extended and given loyalty and that that kind of continuity connects with the fans instead of having this roster churn every two or three years where nobody gets attached to everyone. Um, you, you do have these players who are committing to spend six, eight, ten years with the franchise and build an identity with the fan base. I, we hear this all the time. Free agency is not new. It started almost 50 years ago. Fans are used to players leaving, but they want to see an effort on the part of a big market franchise who can afford to do it. Look, if the Atlanta Braves can sign up Ronald Acuna Jr. and Matt Riley and, uh, uh, you know, Ozzie Albies and all these guys, then, uh, then other players, other teams can uh, can do that as well, and uh, there's no reason the Red Sox can't. I think it's important, though, you know, and that's why I dismiss somebody like Crawford. 
I don't think his ceiling is high enough to worry about something like that. Tristan Casas could be a perennial all-star, could be a 40-home run guy, could be a guy that you really want to have in a Red Sox uniform for his whole career. So you extend, even Bayo would be something of a risk. He's got great stuff, he's got great promise, but he hasn't had an ERA under four in the big leagues yet. So how big a gamble is that? You have to identify the right guys in terms of talent, and you've got to find that sweet spot where you can meet the player in the middle uh, but at least they're saying they're going to try. Ultimately, they'll be judged on whether they succeed or not. Yeah, and in the last few years, the only deal I could think of, Garrett Whitlock in that boat and no one else. Um, that's kind of telling, and maybe the new strategy is uh, going to work. Who, who, only time will tell there. Other takeaway from Sam before we move on to Liam Hendricks, um, saying there were set parameters on the budget. I think that's obvious. That was more quiet part out loud from Red Sox ownership set parameters uh what exactly does that mean we don't know but we can confirm at this point the red sox set a budget as every team does they gave craig breslow a budget and anyone who thinks it wasn't much lower than the budget craig breslow thought he was going to get has not been paying close enough attention they're at 206 million against the cbt right now both of us have our doubts that they'll go over it would take john henry interfering it would take john henry deciding to spend a little bit more money even if the front office wants him to, it's ultimately up to him. Uh, I think we both have our doubts that that's going to happen. But every day that goes by where Jordan Montgomery is unsigned and Blake Snell's unsigned, the possibility remains at least a little bit. That's a discussion that we've had literally every day for the offseason, and we'll get into more as these guys are unsigned. But set parameters from Sam Kennedy, not a surprise. But, you know, what we were thinking all along, the budget was set. The budget was set by John, and it was lower than... Pretty much anybody could have anticipated. Yeah, and they don't show any evidence of moving off that. Uh, you know, we heard today from a couple of sources that they continue to monitor the market for Jordan Montgomery and that, uh, you know, they may be positioning themselves if the kind of the bottom falls out and he has to take a lot less than he expected, maybe a shorter pillow type deal. He's represented by Scott Boris, who invented the term right here with another client of his, uh, Adrian Beltre. So who knows, but they do seem very careful about adding to this present payroll. Uh, it does not seem as if it's going to move much above 200 million. Uh, if they perceive there to be incredible value to the point where Montgomery is so affordable that by lifting it a little, they can really get a win there, then it seems like they might consider that. But you also get the feeling that they're digging their heels in a little bit and, uh, and you know, sticking to that number that we've heard somewhere in the low 200 millions, which is a significant reduction from the previous year of 225. And a bit embarrassing, but we've covered that obviously a lot. You heard it here on Mass Live First yesterday, Liam Hendricks signing a two-year deal with the Red Sox. That became official today. He was at the facility for his physical yesterday. Not a guy who is probably going to change anything for the Red Sox in the early part of 2024, recovering from Tommy John surgery. He wants to be back at the trade deadline, knowing how the Red Sox operate, especially with arm surgeries. Would be a bit of a surprise. They're going to try to keep him along slowly, and they have a plan mapped out. But the details of the contract suggest... It's all about 2025. You know, they're able to get one of the best relievers in baseball for, you know, at absolute most, 
three years and $30 million. You know, next year, if he is an elite closer or an elite eighth inning guy for you, and he reaches all of his incentives, it's only $15 million, which um, is, you know, less than he was getting in Chicago. And that's a big if. You know, they're only guaranteeing five. So it's a, a pretty low risk. You know, it's a major league deal. They guaranteed him $10 million. But low risk, very high upside deal. Alex Cora called it a smart bit of business. I agree with that. I also think this guy is going to be a quote machine. He's going to be hashtag GFB, good for business, in the next couple of years. And really, you know, add a character to that Red Sox clubhouse, which when you have a Netflix camera crew following you around, cannot be a bad thing. Um, but again, not a move that'll move the needle in the next few months, but one that really could pay off for them in 25. Yep, two things here. One is the clubhouse element. And it isn't just the personality, it's the energy. Uh, Alex Cora said, you know when, um, when Liam Hendricks is in the room because he's loud, because he's, uh, you know, fooling around with somebody, making a joke, lightening the mood, but bringing the energy. His former teammate in Chicago, Lucas Giolito, mentioned that right off the bat yesterday, even before he got to you know, the kind of pitcher he can be when he's again healthy. He talked about the energy he'll bring, and I think that clubhouse could use that. I also think his timetable, if it's realistic, and we won't know this for a while, is an interesting confluence for the Red Sox. We know that they have at least discussed the possibility of trading Kenley Jansen even before the season. They've been listening all winter. They have told teams essentially he's available, but we're not going to take back any of the money. If you want him, you're going to have to give us an equitable return in terms of the talent pool, and you're going to have to assume the full $16 million salary that he is scheduled to make in 2024. They haven't yet heard any offers that they have liked enough. He's still here. And my guess is that unless something surprising happens in the next month or so, he's going to be in Seattle when the season starts. But because we don't expect that the Red Sox are going to contend and that they're not going to be in the playoff race at the end of July, the, the timetables line up here in a pretty interesting fashion where the Red Sox could easily make Kenley Jansen available in a trade at the deadline to teams that are desperate for that mix to get that closer, to get them over the hump and into October. Jansen has plenty of postseason experience with both Atlanta and the Dodgers. He thought he might have that experience here. That hasn't happened. Um, so they could move him in July and maybe get a decent package for him. You go back and look what the Kansas City Royals got by moving Araldus Chapman last summer to the Texas Rangers. That was a team in desperation mode because they had loaded up and realized they had a ninth inning problem. Maybe there's another one of those teams out there this July, and the Red Sox could move Jansen, cash in on him for the final two months, get a prospect or a good young major leaguer in return, and have Liam Hendricks almost ready to take over that ninth inning role in early August. And Liam Hendricks, I hope and pray, is a future Fenway rundown guest because he's an absolute electric factory. Some of the best quotes we've had in a while um, on the show. And a slight correction, as I conflated two Atlanta Braves earlier, I made a, a, a reference to the non-existent Matt Riley. That would be Austin Riley and Matt Olson. I merged them together and invented a player who doesn't exist, and for that I apologize. I have a family friend named Matt Riley, so he appreciated the shout-out and also your correction 
prevents more editing. That means more time for me to devote to our Fenway Rundown Insider Text program. And if you too would like to devote yourself to the Fenway Rundown Insider Text program, text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257, then click the link to subscribe, which out of the goodness of our hearts, we will not charge you for the first two weeks, and thereafter, a very reasonable, and who could argue with this price, $4.99 a month. That's the Fenway Rundown for today, which is Wednesday or Tuesday, or maybe it's Friday, because there's no days of the week when you're covering spring training. Uh, it's Tuesday. For the record, we will, barring a cancellation, have Lucas Giolito on the show later in the week. Look forward to catching up with him and introducing, introducing our listeners to uh, another former White Sox pitcher, who I think is going to be a very interesting character for these Red Sox this year. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.